chapter 5, 18. And all, the, and all um, things are of God, who hath reconciled us unto himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, the God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What a powerful message. Amen. Now that's my question tonight. What is our message? The Lord has called us to be fishers of men, not keepers of aquariums. We know that God has given us a powerful, loving, challenging, liberating message for this mess age in which we live. The question is, do we as Christians know what our message really is? Perhaps we may know intellectually the message of salvation, but do we know how to articulate that message? Do we know how to adequately communicate that message to average Joe that we run into on the street or the one we work with on the job? Or could it be that we've been Christians for such a long time that we really don't know how to articulate, we don't even know what the message really is that we are to share with people concerning the Lord. I've known Christians who have been saved a long, long time, and they get somebody to talk to them about the Lord and say, well, come to church with me Sunday, and the pastor will show you how to get saved, or the Sunday school teacher. I've seen that over and over and over again. But the Bible says that we are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, to my understanding of an ambassador is someone that may be like from the United States that's been appointed as an ambassador uh, to go to some foreign country like Kiev, uh, uh, Ukraine perhaps, or wherever the case may be. I've seen ambassadors in Togo, Africa, plenty of places I've traveled. And yet that person goes as a representative of the nation that they represent. And they're there speaking on behalf of the ones in authority, and they have authority to speak in the name of the United States, in the name of the President, because they get their orders from back home and tell them uh, what to do. They're their ambassadors of peace. They do not come to bring war. They come in order to bring peace. We are ambassadors of the Lord, not to wage war upon this world, but to bring peace to those that are at war with the Almighty God. And those that are dead in trespasses and sin, like you and I were before we became Christians, we were enemies to God. We were at war with God. But I'm grateful that Jesus Christ has brought us back uh, to the saving knowledge of the Lord. Now, with that being said, in the 2 Corinthians 5.20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. The key idea in this phrase is reconciliation. Now, because of his rebellion, man was an enemy to God, and man was out of fellowship with the Almighty God. But through the work upon the cross, Jesus Christ has brought man and God back together again. Isn't that amazing to think about? 
We were alienated from God because of sin, but because of the work of Jesus upon the cross and our accepting the work that Jesus did, God and me are friends again. God and you are friends again. We are friends with God again. God called Abraham a friend of God, did he not? Well, we're a friend of God tonight, and for that I am grateful. So God has been reconciled uh, and has turned his face in love toward the lost world. Now, the basic meaning of the word reconcile is basically to change thoroughly. To change thoroughly. God changed his, uh, his mind about me. God changed his view of me. God changed his view of you. We were enemies of the cross. We were enemies of God. But today we're friends. And even though while we're enemies, he died for us. He went through hell for us, even when we were his enemies. But today we have been reconciled to God. Now, it has changed the relationship uh, between God and the lost world, of which you and I were part of before we ever became a Christian. Now, God does not have to reconcile to man. Let me say it again. God does not have to reconcile to man. That was accomplished by Jesus Christ on the cross. It is man who has to reconcile now to the Almighty God. Because God reconciled himself to a lost world willing to do it when Jesus died upon the cross. It's not God who has to change his mind about us now. His mind was changed when Jesus died. It is we who have to repent and change our mind now about the things of God. But I remind you that religion is man's feeble attempt, man's feeble way of trying to have peace with God, and all those efforts are within vain. But the person who reconciled us to God, the Father, was Jesus Christ. And the place that he did that was at the cross where he died. Let me say it again. The person that reconciled you and me to God was Jesus Christ. And the place where that was accomplished was at the cross upon which Jesus Christ died. If you and I can get a revelation of the cross, if we can understand everything that God did for us through Jesus Christ at that cross, I can be free to like myself better than I do. I can even be free to love myself a little better than I do. And so can you. Because we don't have to beat ourselves up for all the things we've done wrong. And God knows we've done them, have we not? But at the cross, at the cross is where I first saw the light. Praise God. Another key idea in this text is uh, imputation. Now, this is a word borrowed from the banking industry. And it basically means uh, to put into one's account. Now, if you take a, ca- a check and you place it into your account is all you do. You simply take your money and you place it into your account. It belongs to you. If you pay off a credit card uh, and you call up on the phone and you say, I want to pay off my uh, minimum balance, whatever, they'll take the money out of one account and they will put it into another account and that old account has been settled. With me? And that's what imputation has done. When you deposit money in the bank, the money is added to your account. It's added to your credit. When Jesus died on the cross, all of our sins were imputed to him. When Jesus died on the cross, our sins was put put into his account. Are you with me? He was treated by God as though every sin was placed upon him as if though it was his own. 
Every sin that you committed, you name any deplorable sin, you name any sin that's there. It's as if though Jesus nailed it to the cross in his own body, as if though it were his own, because it was put into his account. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about that sometimes, and I need to think about it a whole lot more than I do, it helps me understand how much I'm loved. It helps me understand how much God so loved the world. I want to say it again. When Jesus died on the cross, all of our sins were imputed to him, was placed on his account. He was treated by God as though he had actually committed all those sins, and he carried them to the cross in his own body. The result of all this... All those sins have been paid for, and God no longer holds them against me, and God no longer holds them against you, because we have trusted the finished work of His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That'll make a Quaker shout. Yeah. I, I, I want that to soak. I want to say it again. The result, all the sins have been paid for and God no longer holds them against us because we have trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. How many times are we condemned? A skeleton comes out of a closet. A thought comes out of a closet. Or the devil takes the past and beats you over the head with it. If you and I can point him to the cross... Jesus bore it in his body. Everything we've ever done wrong. It's a a legal term. He imputed it upon him. But it gets better. More than that, God has put into our account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Think about this. For he had made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Reconciliation is based on imputation because the demands of God's holy law was satisfied in the person of Jesus Christ the Lord. Praise God. Now those, that lets me know that sinners can be reconciled to God. Those who believe on Jesus Christ their personal Savior, we will never have our sins imputed to us again. All the past is gone. Yesterday is in the tomb. Tomorrow is in the womb. And today is the day I can rejoice because I know it's okay. Now that doesn't mean we'll never sin again. We don't have to. Nobody has to put a gun in the center or pull the trigger. The Bible says if we sin, we have an advocate of the Father, Christ Jesus the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but the sins of the whole world. To me, that's the Christian fire escape. You don't use a fire escape every day just when the building's on fire. Amen. You with me? The Bible said if we say we have no sin, we are a liar. And the Bible said if we do sin, we're of our father the devil. Figure that one out. I'm going to tell you how it works. The old Adamic nature inside of us cannot help but sin. It's impossible for him not to sin. But the Jesus inside of us, it's impossible for him to sin. If I yield myself to old Adam, I'm going to sin. But if I yield to the Christ inside, I'm not going to sin. And that's where the battle comes in. But the point is this. For right now, all the sins from right here at this moment, at 725 on this Wednesday night, thank God they're gone. 
I don't have to worry about what's coming tomorrow. I believe the same Holy Ghost that's in me right now, the same Word of God's directing me right now is going to lead me into my future. But if I sin, thank God I have an advocate. And the same sins that I confess to him will be imputed to him as well. But in the meantime, he has imputed to us his righteousness. That's a legal term, if you will. As far as our record's concerned, we share in the righteousness of Jesus Christ the Lord. God looks upon you and says, you're all right. You're right before me. The righteousness of Christ he's imputed upon us does not make us righteous. It declares us righteous. Are you with me? That righteousness that he's talking about here does not make us righteous. It declares us righteous. I believe we have to wait for a glorified body to have all the righteousness that he wants us to have. Now there's a powerful illustration of this truth in the book of Philemon or Philemon, you know, tomatoes or tomatoes, depends on where you're from, I guess. But from where I'm from, Philemon, a great thing. We see the story that Paul wrote about. Philemon had a slave by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus robbed him and ran away. And back in those days, all the roads ran to Rome. Paul happened to be a prisoner in Rome. So Onesimus somehow hooked up to Paul. Paul basically led him to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul then said, look, I'd like you to stay here, but you need to go back to Philemon. And I want to send this letter back with you to give to him and let you know that you were unprofitable to him, but now you are profitable. And you're much more than a servant now, you're a brother. And he said, and here's what he said. He, he wrote the letter and said, Paul wrote, receive him as myself, and if he owes you any ought, put that on my account. That's what, that's what Jesus has done. Same type thing. All the sins that we've committed have been imputed to him, and it's all on his account right now. Paul was willing to pay imputation, if you will, so the Nesimus and Philemon could be, recon could be uh, reconciled. Now, with that being said, how does this wonderful doctrine of reconciliation motivate us to serve Jesus? That's what we're after. We're ambassadors of the Lord in this world with a message. We have a powerful message. We have a loving message. We have a liberating message. And we have a message that comes from the heart of an almighty God. God has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. And God has committed to us the word of reconciliation in verse 19. Now in the Roman Empire, there were two kinds of providences. The senatorial providences and the imperial providences. Uh, during the time, the senatorial providences were made up of people who were peaceful, and they were not at war with Rome. They had submitted to the Roman authorities. They were submitted to the Roman way of living, and they were peaceful. So they sent the senatorial uh, people to them. But then you had the imperial providences, and that was made up of people that were rebelling against Rome. They would rebel. They'd start a war. They'd break free anytime they could. If a situation would arise, they would break camp and they would go. So it was necessary for Rome to send ambassadors to the imperial providences to make sure the rebellion would not break out among the people. Now, since we're Christians in the world are ambassadors of Christ, that means the world is in rebellion against God. Before you were saved, before I was saved, before we were saved, we were rebelling against God. Were we not? Amen. Sure we were. We did what our hearts wanted to do. We followed the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye. We followed the pride of life. We were rebelling against God. 
So in reality, the word, this word is an imperial providence. This world, I should say, is an imperial providence as far as God is concerned. And he sent us as ambassadors into this world with a message of peace. With a message of peace. Be ye reconciled to God. Now, we represent Jesus Christ to this world. Just as an ambassador from America goes overseas, uh, they go representing America. Uh, they go with the, the voice of America. They go with the, 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 the favor and the blessing of the president and the leadership. And they say what home tells them to say. Oh, we listen to the voice of God. We are pilgrims and strangers in this world, but we are ambassadors listening to the Heavenly Father. And we have a message of peace to a world that's in rebellion. We have a message of peace to a world uh, that's spitting in the face of God. And yet be ye reconciled to God is what it says. So if sinners reject our message, if sinners reject our words, if sinners reject our ambassadorship, they're really not rejecting us. They're rejecting the one who sent us. Are you with me? They're rejecting the one who sent us, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ of glory. Now understand this. God has not declared war on this world. At the cross, he declared peace. I want to say it again. God has not declared war upon this world. At the cross, he declared peace. But one day he will declare war on all of those in this world that have turned down the offered love of reconciliation, that have turned down the love of God, and have not accepted His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, as the Lord of their life. I remind you that Satan is seeking everything he can to tear this world apart. But Jesus and we, His church, are doing everything we can do, and hopefully we are doing everything we can do, to reconcile the world back to God. Was your world falling apart before you met Jesus? I mean, was your world really falling apart before you became a born-again child of God? I shudder to think what I'd be today had I not gotten saved. I shudder to think where I might be today had I not given my life to the Lord. I was at war with myself. And a little war with God. Didn't even know it. We're at war with the world. Everything around me. But when the Lord came on board... Thank God I had peace with myself. And I had peace with my God. And I had the peace of God that surpassed all understanding. I remind you, brothers and sisters, we're involved and hopefully committed to ministry reconciliation. Bringing a lost world back into fellowship. Bringing lost sinners back into fellowship with Jesus Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, ministry is not easy. Soul winning is not easy. Evangelizing is not easy. We must have the fear of God in our life. We must have the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts. And we must have a word of reconciliation to give to this lost and dying world. What a privilege to serve him as an ambassador in, in this world. How many of you ever remembered Christ's ambassadors in the Assemblies of God? A few of you. Remember, you know what it was? Christ's ambassadors used to be the name of the youth group in the Assemblies of God. We are Christ's ambassadors. That's about all I know. <laughs> Talking about waving the flag. Well, if you know what, a, we called them CAs back in those days. So if you know what a CA is, you are now an AC, an H Christian. Uh, because that has been gone for a long, long time. 
But what a privilege it is tonight to be an ambassador in this world. We have a message and a powerful means to share it. But again, what is our message that makes it so powerful? An ambassador has the ability to effectively communicate the message that has been given to him from headquarters. If we're unsure of our message, we will never communicate it to a lost world. If we don't know what our message is, we'll never communicate it with a lost world. If we don't know how to communicate that message, we'll never do that with a lost world. Many times we as Christians are not faithful ambassadors of the Lord simply because we don't know the content of the message or we're unable to communicate that message in an understandable way by the people we're trying to talk to. Now, for many, understanding the gospel presentation is like trying to illustrate an algebra problem. You're in a classroom and the professor comes up and he's taking care of algebra and he's taking care of the, of, the, of the problem on the board and he goes through it and you think you got that down. And then you go home that evening and, and your best friend calls you up who missed the algebra class for whatever reason. Can you teach me? Yeah, I can do it. I watched, I watched Dr. So-and-so do it. So you go to his house and you go, I, I can't get this. I heard it. It made sense at the moment, but I don't know how to do it here. And sometimes we're the same way when it comes to witnessing. In theory, we know the message. In theory, we know the scripture. In theory, we know how to do it until the rubber meets the road and we, what do we do? So we don't really know how to do it. For, for, for many, understanding the gospel can be like that. We have believed and understood the gospel for ourselves, but we're unable to articulate and communicate the message of salvation to another person, uh, and therefore we don't offer that salvation to people perhaps when we could. Other people include truthful things, but things that are not necessary about the gospel, ir irrelevant things in presenting the gospel. As a consequence, the friends are confused. And so other people have a clear grasp upon the gospel. We don't understand the vocabulary of the gospel. And we use words that many of our unsaved friends know nothing about whatsoever. I, I, I thought about something some time ago. A fellow, he passed a sign that said, Jesus saves. You go, that's interesting. Ask his Christian friend, what does it mean, Jesus saves? Well, he'll save you. What does that mean? Well, he'll just save you. Well, what does it mean he'll save me from what? Well, he'll save you from hell. What's hell? Uh, well, you just come to church next Sunday, my pastor will show you. You know, that's what we often do. But I believe there's got to be some things, church, that we need to know and need to understand so we can properly be the ambassador he wants us to be to articulate in the way he wants us to do. Now, in communicating the gospel, it's essential that we realize that Christianity is not a philosophy, it's not a way of life, it is not a religion, it's all about a person. His name is Jesus Christ. Unless a non-Christian understands you can have a personal relationship with Jesus, with God, anything else we do I think is all in vain. And yet many times I've seen people and they're a witness saying, now look, when you come to know the Lord, you can't go to the moving picture show. And you can't go mixed swimming. That's what I was taught. And you can't have no fun. All them fun things you can't do no more. Now that really made me want to accept the Lord. And what happens many times when we're witnessing people, we act like we've got to Christianize them. Or shall I say, well let's call it, we'll call it that. 
We've got to, they've got to pass our litmus test of what we think a Christian should look like. And if they don't do that, then they become our convert when they need to be the Lord's convert. Now, I've got to be honest with you, church. When I was, when I, when I, when I first, I, before I got saved, there were a few guys that were older than me, they went to church, that I really watched their lives. And this one guy by the name of Mike, Mike prayed four and five hours a day. Mike read his Bible three hours a day. He quit his job and mooched off his mother and father at 20-some years of age. His dad would come home to the coal mine working all day long, and Mike would wait till his dad came home from the coal mines to go pray in the basement where his dad took a shower. And Mike would kick his dad out of, the, out of the shower and sit there in his dirty coal mine and clothes for three hours while Mike was praying. So Mike tried to convert me to his ways before I was ever converted to Christianity. You follow me? And sometimes we're not careful. We want people to join our belief system join what we believe. And once I gave my heart to the Lord, Mike had me so confused as a turn mine to yo-yo. I didn't know, I mean, I could go to the, to the to Dairy Queen and felt like I'd sinned. I walk into a grocery store, get a gallon of milk, say, oh, I'm worldly. I walked in. That's the way he had me feeling. And I, you know, I was bound by sin, but now I'm bound by religion. And I'll never forget, I was sitting in class one day at Southeastern University, and the Lord spoke to my heart clearly, stand fast in the liberty wherein I have set you free. I went, praise God. But if we're not careful, we promote religion as an ambassador when we should be articulating the message of Jesus Christ to a lost and Does that make sense? Our message is not a bunch of cans. Our message is I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Praise God. More times than not, we overpass the essential things, tend to scold people because they don't line up with our litmus test of what we think they should be. I want to tell you something, friend. The good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is just that. He is the good news. It's not about a church. It's not about rules and regulations. It's not about religion. It's not do's and don'ts. Thank God it is a message of a relationship with a living God. And his name is Jesus. Praise the Lord. Now, because the gospel is about a person, not a religion, there's no religious, no rote way in which we can present it. But I think when you're talking to somebody, there's a few things that I think we need to have in mind as we talk. When you begin to talk to somebody about somebody, you usually want to talk to them about their personality, their appearance, and their character, do you not? When we talk to people about Jesus, I think we do the same thing. We can talk about his personality. We can talk about his character. We can talk about, you know, his attributes. If, if I had a brother that worked at Publix, and he's blind in one eye, and he worked on the, the, the shipyard dock, whatever you call it, the dock out there, and I go down to uh, Red Lobster and having lunch there one day, and a guy walks in, and we got to talking, and I say, he said, I work at Publix. I would not come say, I got a one-eyed brother that works out there on the loading dock. I don't think I'd do it that way. I think one of the first things I would do is simply say, hey, I've got a brother that works at Publix. Oh, you do? Where at? We well, works on the loading dock. And you start the conversation. Does that make sense? But too many times when we witness, we just dump the whole load on people. And they're not ready for the whole load. So when we talk to people about Jesus, we might want to talk one day to them, you know, about his prayer life. 
about the miracles that he did. You may want to talk to him one day about uh, the, the, the way he, he, he cast out devils, the way he died on the cross, the way he rose from the grave. Just be led of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to give him the whole load at one time, just essentials as we, we come across the path. Now, eventually you're going to cover all the information as best we can about the gospel, but you take it one step at a time. Now, what are some of the facts I think we need to give it to the people? It's a brief outline. It's got some holes in it, I'm sure. But it follows the principles of using the Lord's words where possible and using the clearest possible references to support what the Lord wants us to tell them. Are you ready for this? Just some essential things I believe we can do. What's our message? Let's know some of the facts. First of all, if we're going to talk to somebody about Jesus, I think we need to know who is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Believe it or not, people argue with you about who Jesus is, and people argue with you about who Jesus isn't. Arguing is a ploy of the enemy. Nobody wins the argument. And more times than not, they will, they will argue with you, so I think it's why it's important if we tell them who Jesus is, to go right to the Word of God itself, and don't argue with me, but this is what the Scripture says. Okay? Simply tell them the facts in the Bible. First of all, Jesus is fully God. The Scripture says, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. In John, that was in John 5, 8, in uh, uh, John 14, 9, Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long with you? You have not known me. Philip has seen me, has seen the Father. How saith thou then show us the Father? And then we read in Colossians 1.15 that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And a long passage in John 10, uh, 10 through 30. So I think it's important that we, we present who Jesus is right from the Scripture to people. I, I talked to a guy one day, and he, he had gone to a Christian church for a while. But he said, you know, I've been looking into to Buddha. I mean, into to, uh, Islam. I've been looking into Islam to understand if he's really God or if God's really God. Okay. What can I tell you about Jesus? He is God. Well, how do you know? I take him right to the Word of God. And here's the thing. When you and I are speaking the Word of God to people, remember the Holy Spirit is confirming the Word you're speaking. Amen. If I am but speaking my thoughts and speaking my ideas, the Holy Spirit don't necessarily use that. He can. But if I'm speaking the Word of God, and I'm quoting the Word of God, the Holy Spirit sneaks up behind them and begins to drive it home. They may forget me that night, but in the me hours of the night, the Holy Spirit is bringing that word back to their mind, bringing that word back to their mind, keeping their pillows hard at night and their foods, uh, food tasteless during the day. That's what happened to Nikki Cruz when Dave, Re uh, Dave Reaver, when Dave Wilkerson went to uh, New York and Nikki Cruz was in that gang and didn't, he didn't like Christians, didn't like preachers, all the above. None of the gangs did. But Dave Wilkerson was teaching the Word. He would talk the Word to him. And when Nikki spit right in Wilkerson's face one day, Dave said, Nikki, God loves you. Amen. Now see, turning the cheek doesn't tell us how much we can take. It shows what God can give. Amen. <laughs> with me? In the wee hours of the night, Nikki said he was tossing back and forth. God loves you. God loves you. That's all he could hear. He couldn't get out. Of, he could get rid of Wilkerson, but he couldn't get rid of the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's why when we're talking to people, we quote the Word of God. They can't get rid of it. So, in presenting the claims of Jesus, it's helpful to use the words of Jesus where possible. And uh, that way people pretty well can accept it. Now, it's important to use the clearest statements that we possibly can in talking as well. 
uh, the ones that we know involve the claim of deity may not be clear to non-Christian people. Let me say it again. In Genesis 3.15 is one of the first references to the coming of, of, of the Messiah. I don't often use that in my witnessing because they may not swim that deep at the moment. They don't understand the prophetic word, maybe. So we've got to be careful and, and too much sharing. And sometimes the Bible says that Jesus is fully man. But if you talk to people when they're, before they're ever saved about him being a fully man, they're going, wait a minute, I don't understand. To me, give them the essentials they need to know he is God. And we'll add more pieces to the puzzle as it comes along. Because it's God who rectifies. It's God who reconciles. It's God who imputes. So we come across Jesus as fully God. Secondly, I think we need to understand his view of human nature. A long passage in, in, in uh, Mark 7, 1 to 23. Jesus says that sin is the basic disease that defiles us and cuts us off from God. Now, there's a variety of symptoms of sin, let me say, which originate internally and not externally. If we can let people know the problem is on the inside and not just responding to things around about us. Once again, just to tell people all have sinned, and the Bible said all sin and come short of the glory of God, that's great. But I think if we can personalize it more and describe it sin in experimental terms, it finds almost everybody agreeing uh, that this includes him or her. Sin is a word, hear me again, sin is a word that does not communicate very well in our society. People can care less about sin. People laugh about sin. People joke about sin. People think sin is fun. They have parties in sin. People love to sin. There's songs now about partying in hell. You've heard them, I'm sure. They're out there. People used to think sin as a way of life, and they often look at it as a joke, a pleasure to pursue, and doing so gives them no, no, no consequences in this world or the world to come. After all, everybody's doing it in their way of thinking. So sin is a basic disease it's a rebellion against the Almighty God doing things our way rather than doing the way of God. And the symptoms are very widely different, different people, but the disease of sin is universal. We're separated from God like a leaf that's cut off from the vine. And if we can let people know and talk about what sin is, Jesus, Jesus gave a diagnosis of the problem of the world. It's sin. He may have called it sin. He may have called it idolatry. He may have called it drunkenness. He may have called it drug addiction. He may have called it homosexuality. He may have called it this, that, or the other. He named it. Paul named them one by one. He didn't just say blanket sin. He named them one by one. And once again, the Word of God is spoken about sin. The Holy Spirit can bring conviction. And people, when they see they're lost and that they're part of the problem and that Jesus Christ is the solution, again, that tweaks something within their mind. It's the separation of sin as a result of all the heart, heart, heart full of boredom and, and loneliness and, and, and weakness and lack of purpose and all the emptiness that goes on in the life of people. It's the result of the residuals of sin. And I think we need to talk about the fact and the meaning of the crucifixion. The fact and the meaning of the crucifixion. Now, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is mentioned in all four of the Gospels. But in Matthew 26, 28, Jesus plainly tells us his death is for the forgiveness of sin. Why did Jesus die? Was he a martyr for a cause? No. He freely laid his life down for you. 
and for me. Why? For the forgiveness of sin. All these things we just talked about, all the adultery, all the homosexuality, all the drunkenness, all the dope, all these things. Jesus died for all of that. He died for you. He died for me. That message began to resonate. For me, when people told me that, it began to resonate. Peter is one who were the Lord's closest disciples, and he knew the mind of Christ, I think, as well as anybody. And he said, For Christ hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So again, Jesus took the sentence of death that belongs to us as a result of our breaking the law of God. We come to Him with nothing but our sins, and He gives us everything. Amen. That's a message that resonated with me. And I still think the world needs to hear it. And as ambassadors of God, we have a powerful, loving, liberating message to share. And brothers and sisters, don't feel like we're out there sharing it all by ourselves. Because the same Holy Spirit that moved upon holy men of God to write the Word is the same Holy Spirit that moves upon us to help us to proclaim that Word, to teach that Word, to live that Word, and to bring conviction upon those that know, don't need to know Jesus Christ. So once again, He stepped into our place to receive judgment. He offers forgiveness freely, no strings attached, and He restores us to a proper relationship with God the Father. You can have peace with God. And friend, we get to that place sometime talking to people, and they're just like babies won't eat, baby birds won't eat right out of your hand. How many times have I seen cold, hard, stony hearts melt in the presence of God? How many times one-on-one -on -one, have I seen wicked, sinful people just melt at the presence of God? And as an ambassador, he'd give me an opportunity to pray the sinner's prayer with them. And I'd watch the lights. And the, to me, right here is the lights to the soul, the windows to the soul. And all of a sudden, that old gray marriage just left, and the lights clicked on, and they were born again. Now, I've got to share this with you real quickly. It's not in my notes or my thoughts, but first guy ever led to the Lord. We were riding down the road. He was driving. And his name was Martin. And I hadn't been saved long. And I kept talking to Martin about the Lord, and I was struggling with it, but I was all excited about the Lord. And I tell you, I, I was like a kid in a candy store. I mean, the Lord had done so much for me, I couldn't help but tell somebody. And Martin got interested, so he prayed. We pulled off the side of the road, and he prayed the sinner's prayer. And I said, are you, where's the Lord? He said, he's in my heart. How do you know? Oh, I feel him. Are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure you want to pray again? No, man, I feel the Lord. Are you sure everything's okay between you and God? Yeah. Are you 100% sure you accepted it? We do it right? Yeah. I almost talked him out of what I talked him into, almost. So I went to this man's house, an old blind man, the name of Bob Jones. He was blind, but that man was close to God. And I said, I want you to meet my friend. And we walked in. I said, Brother Bob, this boy got saved. I said, would you find out if I did it right? Because I scared death blood would be on my hands if I didn't do it right. You know, sometimes, church, we just got to learn to get out of the way and let God do what he's got to do. Never tell somebody they're saved. When you pray the sinner's prayer with them, you ask them, where is the Lord? Oh, he's in heaven. Where'd you ask him to come? Well, he's in heaven, but where'd you ask him to come? In my heart, then where's he at? I don't know. Well, where did you ask him to come? In my heart. Then where's he at? Oh, he's in my heart. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God bears witness with their spirit that we're a child of God. I let them tell me they're saved. I let them tell me. Same way with healing. I don't tell anybody they're healed. I ask, what happened? 
and let the Spirit of God confirm to their spirit. The Bible said, to many call upon him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. It's more than an emotional experience. It is that I know that I know that Spirit of God bearing witness with our spirit that indeed we are a child of God. i got to hurry. We talked to him now about the fact of the resurrection. The most dramatic account, as I say, was in Luke 26. Here we have the record of the appearance of Jesus Christ to his disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Notice, if you will, they were frightened. They supposed they saw a spirit when they saw him. But Jesus, in his wonderful ways, looked upon them and said, Handle me and see, for a spirit had not flesh and bones as you see I have. Jesus Christ rose from the grave bodily, once again confirming and validating his claim to deity. Claiming his claim, uh, 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 validating his claim to deity once again. And this single fact revolutionized the early church. They were hiding like a bunch of cowards behind closed door on Good Friday. But on Easter Sunday morning, they came out of that closet with a powerful message to share with the world. Their world was rocked. And everywhere they went, they rocked the world. Because the Redeemer, the living one, was alive and alive in him as well. So the implication of the resurrection for our time is that the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we are offering to you, is very much alive and present in this world right here, right now. And he's right at your door, or your heart knocking. Jesus died for your sins, but he rose from the grave for our justification. And thank God he outlived the pallbearers along the way. That's a good God that we serve. Then we can talk to him about how you become a Christian. People need to know how to become a Christian. How Jesus can be their own personal Lord and Savior. It's at this point that we've got to be able to articulate the facts that we've talked about in a very clear and a concise way. How to get saved. Now sometimes we use some very vain, abstract things. I realize these words are important, but many sinners don't understand them. Believe, faith, accept, very important. But somehow we need to articulate those words in a way that a non-Christian, heathen, pagan person can understand. When I was in Africa the first time, I was there for three months. We preached three times a day. One place I went, we had six interpreters, and I wondered what the last guy told him. I'm serious. Had a 30-minute had a, a message, went an hour and a half long, or almost two hours long. You had asked the Lord, invite the, say, invite Jesus into your heart. They didn't know what you were talking about. Because the African, where I was at, they thought the seat of the emotions was the throat. So I had to understand the history of the people I was talking to, and I would say, would you like to invite Jesus into your throat? It made sense to them, it didn't make sense to me, but it's their culture. I could invite a Jesus in their heart all day long. They said, look at me like a cow in the astroturf. They had no idea what I meant. So we understand the people with whom we're talking to and the words that make sense to them wherever they are. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, it's been said that becoming a Christian is something to believe and someone to receive. To become a Christian, it's something to believe and someone to be received. And that kind of puts it in a nutshell for me. Now here's something to think about. It's significant that marriage is one of the illustrations in the New Testament about a person becoming a Christian. You could say it this way. Simply believing in a man or woman does not mean I'm married. I can believe strongly in men and women and still not be married. I've known of people that have been infatuated together. They've had strong feelings for each other, but that did not constitute marriage. You can say all day long, uh, I believe in marriage. I read books about marriage. I've attended six weddings in the last three months. That doesn't constitute marriage. 
In order to be married, you have got to say, I do, somewhere along the way. And in saying, I do, means your life is going to change. Amen. Right? For the better, but it's going to change. I do. That means you have submitted your will to somebody else. It's not what I want to do now, it's what do we want to do. And the same thing is true. We can say all day long, I want to be a Christian. And that was me. I wanted to be a Christian. I tried to be a Christian. But that did not make me a Christian. I had to come to the place, Lord, I do accept you as my Lord and as my Savior. So the reason is very simple. We give it all to the Lord. Now Christianity is a dynamic relationship with a living person, Jesus Christ the Lord. Just as getting married means giving up independence, so does receiving Jesus. The essence of sin is living an independent life away from God. It's simply doing my thing rather than doing God's thing. Living my life rather than living God's life. It's self-centered. And when we marry, we've got to think of the other person. The decisions when we make them. And when we receive Jesus, we're into a wonderful relationship. And now it's not my will, but it's thy will be done. Are you following me? So then how does a person really get saved? In Revelation 3.20, I go here often with people. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come to him and will sup with him and he with me. When I witness someone, and I say, Well, suppose someone came to your door and knocked on the door. What would you do? Well, I'd look out the window and see who it is. And if I thought to worry, I'd open up the door. Okay, you open up the door. Now what do you do? Well, I try them out and I say, Come into my house. Just would you come in. It's that simple with the Lord. He knocks at your door. You know that it's Him. You open up your door. He's not going to huff and puff and blow the hinges off the door to get in there. He knocks and He knocks and He knocks. If you hear His knock and you hear His voice, you open up and say, would you come in? Now church, I would to God, I could understand how it works, but I don't. I have watched myriads of people in the last 43 years give their heart to Jesus Christ. I have led many to the Lord from reprobate to heathen to good moral people from young and old and indifferent from every race of people you could think about. And I still don't know how it works. But I know one thing. If we do the right thing, the possible, God Almighty will do the impossible. If we confess our sins, if we ask Him to forgive us, if we invite Him into our heart, it happens. I've said many times on how a brown cow eats green grass, gives white milk and yellow butter and black patent leather shoes, but it does. And I don't know how in the world the Lord does what He does, but He does for the glory of God. Amen? So, i got to hurry. When talking about our message, I think it's very important to know the answers to these questions. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? What's the diagnosis that Jesus gave concerning human nature? What's the meaning of the crucifixion? What's the meaning of the resurrection? And how do I become a born-again child of God? I think those things are very, very important. Now, friends, let me hurry. Not only do we need the basic facts of the gospel, that we can explain them, but I think we need a format some way in how we do present the gospel when opportunities come at way. Maybe this will be helpful. In any conversation, it's usually not hard to talk to people about something that's wrong with the world and I'm not just talking about something politically. About any conversation you get in, what do you think about these gas prices? What do you think about food prices? What do you think about this? What do you think about the football game? You, you start with somewhere, wherever you are, a conversation. It's easy.
The next step is to diagnose uh, the, uh, what's wrong, realizing that unless you give an accurate diagnosis, no dynamic cure can be reached. And then Jesus gave the diagnosis to man's suffering. He said sin separated. Sins brought all the havoc. Sins brought all the pain. We, we talked about it, I think, pretty good a moment ago. And then I think we come down to the point, and here's the format. You give them the problem. You show them the diagnosis. And then you show them the cure, who's Jesus Christ. Start the conversation. Talk about the problem. How'd that problem happen? And here's the cure, Jesus Christ. Many people today are spiritually ignorant, and that's sad. They don't know the Bible. They don't know names of people in the Bible, and many people don't know the words used in the Bible. There's a famine for the hearing of the Word of God, even among many Christians today. Words that we often use to people like born again, salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification, born again. These are words they don't understand. And right frankly, it doesn't matter to them at the moment. As simple as we can be with the gospel message, as honest as we can be with the gospel message, as relevant as we can be with the gospel message, and as real as we can be with the gospel message. What do you actually mean by the words? The, how, how do we do it now? I want to close with this. If we struggle in witnessing with people, let me give you three things real quick that I think might help you. Number one, why don't you just simply write out the gospel to a hypothetical friend who has no objection but is ignorant of the gospel. You got somebody you work with, a neighbor, your friends, but they're not saved. Say, hey, could you help me with something? And you just write out the gospel and you present it to them for their critique. Why? Well, first of all, you're witnessing to them. <laughs> I had a neighbor, he's not saved. He came over a few weeks ago and said, would you read this for me and make any corrections for me? I said, sure. So I read it and, and take it back to his house. He did that for me. So I thought, why not just write out the gospel to, to a hypocritical or a hypothetical friend and, and just take it to him and say, would you help me? I, I want a few understand. Am I communicating? Do you understand what I meant? Yeah. You just witnessed to him. Another thing you can do is explain the gospel to a friend, a Christian friend, and practice on a Christian friend of just how to articulate the gospel to them. And another thing you can do is verbalize the good news to a stranger, even suggesting the fact that you're trying to learn to communicate and you'd appreciate the stranger's help. You'd be surprised the number of people that sit there and listen to the gospel presentation. I dare you to try it. You'd be surprised of, a, of people you don't even know. Hey, could you help me out here? Five minutes, all I need. I'm, wanna, I'm, I'm learning how to articulate. I want to know how to... I want to know how to peak explain or whatever the case may be. <laughs> and and could, you, could I just try this out on you? Yeah. Be happy to. People in this world like conversation. And people in this world, by and large, like to help people. Do you know that? They really do. Anyway, I hope that made some sense tonight. Again, you have an opportunity. Every Christian is a witness. Every one of us are ambassadors of the Lord in the hostile world. And I pray that we will hear clear from our headquarters and articulate clearly and verbalize clearly the message of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God. To know that the Lord has imputed our sins and He's imputed into us His righteousness.